0: Hello, and welcome to Catholicism in the Car. My name is Parker Zerba. Alrighty, everybody. I'm going to call this episode Catholicism in the Car with Dogs. Or talking about dogs. Because... Uh, I'm I'm not going to resume with the episode on hope yet. We'll do that uh, in the next episode or two. But I am uh, driving with both my dogs in the back seat, <laughs> and uh, so you you might hear them whining or something. We'll see. But I I, I thought it would be fitting uh, to do an episode on on animals um, and particularly on those animals that are close to us, uh, like the the most um, the highest order animals, I guess you could say the, or highest order beasts, because human beings are technically animals, Um, so you could distinguish the humans, the human animals, and the bestial animals, I guess. Uh, But I think it's a, it's kind of a fun, a fun topic. Shoot, I need to be in the other lane. I just totally did something weird. I pulled into the left turn lane, and I had to get out of it into the first one, or the straight one, going straight. And I definitely confused it. I'm sorry. Okay, um, so you can distinguish between human and animals and, and bestial animals, right? And so what is the nature of an animal? We've talked a lot about what the nature of human being is. That they're a, a rational, uh, but yet corporeal or bodily type of being. That's kind of what human beings are. But what distinguishes human beings from the animals is that human beings are particularly rational. Talked about this, you know. I think one of the best examples of rationality is that human beings have the potential—not that they always can utilize this potential or do utilize this um, potential—but human beings have the the potential, at least, to think uh, purely abstractly uh, as much as as much as possible. So, meaning that we don't, um, there are certain things that we can think about that we don't necessarily need images of to think about. Those are very few things. And I've said that I think one of the most important of those, uh, an, exa- of an example of those things would be the example of uh, true infinity. It's something which cannot be really even imagined, but yet we know about it. I can't formulate a, an imagination of infinity. Uh, in philosophy, a lot of times they'll call it a phantasm. So a phantasm is something in the imagination where, like, if I imagine a unicorn, a unicorn is a phantasm because it's, a, it's something that I'm imagining. Right, And it, it's, it's usually amalgamation of, of physical things in the world, uh, things that I've seen before. It's like amalgamation of that, even if it doesn't exist in the real world. Or it's something that does exist in the real world, but it's a hypothetical notion of that thing. Like I'm thinking about a hypothetical uh, cougar in my mind right now, or a, a leopard or something. So anyway, you can probably hear my dogs uh, whining. But they do pretty good in the car. Uh, they get a little stressed out sometimes. So so that that that's what human nature is and animals i I think it would be safe to argue that animals have at least the potentiality for uh, some some animals have the potentiality to have phantasms have imagination right I mean for example you can think of a dog uh, having dreams or something um, that happens uh, quite frequently actually um, in the grand scheme of things and um and, and a dream you know if a dog is dreaming that he's chasing a ball or, you know he's barking in his sleep things like that um he, he's he's most likely as far as we can tell right uh, having some sort of an imagination or a a phantasm of something that exists in the real world and he's kind of putting those things together in his head and it's turning into a dream right so i think higher order animals definitely have the ability for these sorts of, of phantasms or imagination but again, what distinguishes them from human beings is they wouldn't have the ability to think uh, purely abstractly, and then also to think rationally. Like an, an animal can't do uh, calculus, for example. Um, they don't even have the potential to learn calculus. Uh, now, some might argue that's because they don't have language, and we're not able to commu- communicate with them. Maybe if we could communicate with them, they could learn these things. But but if you can teach I don't know. If you can, you, you don't necessarily need uh, spoken language to communicate with someone, right? Um, you can uh, you can teach a baby sign language. You can teach certain apes sign language um, up to a limited extent. Oh wow! Sorry, guy almost cut me off. Um, uh, so yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is animals have the potential for uh, imagination, but they don't have the potential to do things like calculus, much more abstract sorts of thinking. Um, And and that's another thing that would differentiate them. Now, even if it could be proven, I think, that an animal could do calculus, somehow we could teach it calculus, right? Um, Maybe an ape or something. I think still you could say that uh, well, maybe calculus isn't the best example. Calculus does involve the idea of infinity, um, but it involves a mathematical infinity instead of a Instead of a philosophical infinity, you could say um, a mathematical infinity would be like an infinite line um, going in all directions, the infinity of numbers, right? So it's it's not actually pure infinity in the sense that mathematical infinity is, it deals with an infinite number of things, whereas uh, philosophical infinity, uh, infinity, I would argue, that, and maybe these aren't the correct like academically philosophical terms here, but I'll define them for you so that we can, you can think along with me. Philosophical, I would argue, would be more like uh, one infinite. Uh, it wouldn't even be a thing at that point. Like, like the fact that we can we can even imagine something that is so far beyond our own comprehension that we can't even consider it as being a thing. Like the fact that I can describe this to you right now, something like that. So, uh, this could be almost like the argument of Anselm um, for uh, his ontological argument, right? Like, what, what's the he says um, something that is greater than what can even be conceived. Like, think about something even greater than you can think about. And that's, you're approaching this idea of, like, philosophical infinity, which is what uh, most classical theists would consider God. It's so the fact that human beings can even um, approach that sort of a thought. Now, we can't grasp it, obviously, um, but the fact that we can even approach that sort of thought, I think, is at least a clear pinpoint where that would distinguish us from the animals. Because I think a lot of other sort of thoughts that we would consider abstract are really more just a combination of different things that we uh, view in the physical world. Like, when I think about numbers, I think about numbers as they're drawn on a chalkboard or something like that. Um, when I think about mathematics, I think about I think about the thing that's written on the chalkboard. Um, as it's, it's somehow been depicted to me, right? Um, to do mathematics, you have to have some sort of depiction, uh, y- even if it's just in your head, right? So, ah, oh, the dogs are barking at each other. They're getting a little antsy back there. Um, so yeah, I think even if one could prove that animals could somehow do a sort of mathematical type of abstraction or the abstraction of, 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 of what I would consider an even lower type of abstraction, like of a unicorn or something, um... I, I think that's still, you could still create a, a barrier there between man and, and the animals and the beasts. Um, in that man can think in that absolutely purely abstract way. He at least has like the ability to reach towards it, right? Um, even if he can't fully grasp it. Like, an animal can't do that. If it can't do that sort of high sort of philosophy. I think definitely one can argue that that an animal doesn't have the ability to do that. So, I I don't know. I've been thinking about these things a lot lately. I think about a lot of stuff, obviously, from the fact that I I make all these episodes on this podcast. Um, But, but, but yeah, it's it's an interesting question. Um, Because in in Christian history, you know, at least for a lot of the Middle Ages, people kind of assumed that animals were just these brutes. Um, And many of them, obviously, are. uh, But it's interesting, when you have domesticated animals, you know, what's going on there? Are they somehow, are they able to have higher order thinking than are other types of animals? Okay, um, dang it, I just received a phone call, so I'm, I am lost track of I, I lost my train of thought. <sighs> anyway, we were talking about the difference between animals and humans, and all that kind of stuff. I think I pretty much wrapped that up. I was probably just rambling at this point. So, uh I, I think that there are some really good Sorts of the, the distinctions that one can make. And I think that one can argue, even against the hypotheticals of, say, animal rights people, um, that there is still a very clear difference between human beings and animals, even if you go into the hypothetical. I don't think one can argue that, even hypothetically, a, a, an animal, a bestial animal, could have uh, that sort of philosophically abstract kind of thinking. Uh, in that way, Um, unless, of course, uh, somehow God gives them uh, an infused knowledge for a moment. Uh, You could think of the uh, donkey that uh, talked to, what was it, Balam? Balam or Balak, I always get them mixed up. In the Old Testament, what was that, the book of Judges, I think, Um, when the, the donkey turns around and starts rebuking, uh Balam or Balak, whichever one it was, it says like stop whipping me, you know, you're 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 uh you're hurting me basically. Um and, and I think that that actually brings us to a, a really interesting topic. How? Again, a little mad back that it's hot and they're hot, probably a little cranky. Um that brings us to an interesting question, is I mean, you know, God can maybe work these miracles through an animal where they allow them some sort of rationality for a, a, minute, a moment in time as, as basically as a miracle, um, and certainly that's possible if you take into the account that God is omnipotent and omniscient and all these sorts of things. But yeah, that, that that's leading me towards now, you know, maybe a subtopic within this discussion, and that would be the topic of like what what um, rights do animals have because. Every creature, I think, deserves some sort of uh, respect. in a, in a way, um, I, I would say every creature deserves some sort of respect. It's just what level of respect do you give it? Um, I would say even, you know, inanimate or uh, in non-sentient, uh, non-moving ob- uh, objects, or uh, even like plant life deserves a certain amount of respect. Um, That's why I I do think it would be considered quite immoral for someone to haphazardly uh, chop down a forest without replanting it. Uh, Especially if, you know, it would especially be immoral if they're just chopping it down and then not using the wood. They're just chopping it down for no good reason at all, just to be basically malicious to the environment. Uh, that would That would certainly be a sin against creation uh, because God has uh, created the world, and he called it good now in the original with the original sin uh man and the whole world uh was affected by original sin, and there are then consequences of original sin and that's we could go down a rabbit hole on that topic. Um, but it is, it is kind of interesting, uh, because the the covenant with Noah, actually, uh, God gives Noah and those who were on the ark with him, he, he gives them permission then to eat uh, the animals, to not just eat plants. So scripture is actually quite clear that prior to Noah, um, or pr- prior to the Noahic covenant, Covenant with them um, that human beings were actually vegetarian, uh, which, which is which is quite uh, fascinating. Um, and I mean, it has been clear that uh, that no that part of the Noahic covenant has not been restored because in uh, the Book of Acts, God chose. What well, was it? Was it Saint Peter or Saint Paul? I can't remember. Um, he shows them a vision and, and says, "You know, hey, you're you're able to eat all these different types of animals now that were restricted, even still, with the uh, with the mosaic uh, covenant, the covenant with, with Moses. You know, uh, Jews aren't allowed to eat pork, uh, certain types of seafood, right, um, and a number of other things." And 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 in the book of Acts, uh, Christians were freed from that uh, restriction of the covenant. <laughs> um, Yeah. Oh man, there's so many tangents we could go on there, but I'm trying to restrain myself. <laughs> uh, but but it is it is interesting that humanity before Noah was a vegetarian. They weren't allowed to eat meat. Um. I, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Um, and that also begs the question, you know, so if they made clothing for themselves, uh, what, was it, was it not of animal hide? Was it some sort of uh, plant clothing, right? Which most of our clothing today is made from plants, <laughs> cotton or, uh, you know, various things like that. So, but, but that all goes to say that, that humanity's original state was actually a vegetarian, at least according to the scriptures. It was a vegetarian sort of a state. Um, and, and you know, the, the book of Revelation uh, and also the book of Ezekiel prophesies that uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's, it's interesting, like, like, in the new heavens and the new earth, it appears that we would not be carnivorous. Uh, we would, I mean, we wouldn't have to eat at all, really, is is the thing. We wouldn't have to eat at all. Um, I think St. Thomas Aquinas at least posits that we could eat for pleasure. I mean, potentially, you know, God could do whatever he wants and he could create some sort of. Meat or protein that doesn't actually involve killing an animal, right? Um, he could just create it ex nihilo, right, for for the risen, for the, the humanity after the general resurrection. Um, but it seems clear that there wouldn't be any sort of slaughtering there. There would be no more death in the new heavens and the new earth. Everything will be as it was meant to be uh in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man, man. and that involves. Uh, No death, death, uh, which involves no carnivorous eating. Um, And it's also very interesting. um, Now, the the, the church has been very clear throughout her history that Christians are not bound to be vegetarians. Um, But I don't think one could argue that Christians should not be vegetarians. Just from the scriptural basis alone, but then also from church history, I mean, there are uh, numerous religious orders that live or at least lived at one point, basically vegetarian lives. Uh, The Carthusians, for example, they're a reform of the Benedictines. They, uh, to my knowledge, live uh, purely vegetarian lives. They no longer eat meat. Now, that may have changed in the last hundred years or so. They may eat meat on certain feast days, maybe. Um, But I believe in the past, at least, they they did not eat meat at all. But, but that's, that's never been a requirement for, uh, the Christian people in general. Um and then the New Testament has made that clear. But it will be a, uh, a reality and thus a requirement in the New Heaven and the New Earth. So there will not be any sort of slaughtering of animals, uh, in the New Heaven and the New Earth. And it is just an interesting, uh, um, an interesting point to think about. Uh, and, it, and it does, I think, bring, when we, when we look at salvation history in that kind of overarching sort of a way, and we, we try to look at what is God's design for history, what is his design for creation, um, we see that death was not in the plan at all. Uh, and so, you know, when one takes the life of anything, one should have some sort of awareness of what one's doing. Now there there do come there does come an element of practicality here, you know. Uh if one steps on an ant without realizing it, you know, it's not like that's a sin or anything. Um we're not uh J- Jadists or Jades, whatever they're called, uh that the religion in India. Um Where they, you know, the 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 really devout ones will like sweep a broom in front of them wherever they go, so they don't step on a bug. They they don't kill anything. Um, and and I think the reason why that is has not been required of us by God is uh, because the proliferation of animals has made it so that it's basically impossible not to kill anything. Anything throughout the duration of one's life, it, it is impossible. You're, you're gonna you're gonna kill things. <laughs> um, that's just an 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 inevitable part of reality. No matter how much you try, you're gonna end up killing a bug or a plant or something at some point in your life. So you know you have to take in just normal common sense into these things. Um, we can't be restricting people to the absolute ideals you know, which that's a another topic for another time. Why, why should uh, particularly governments, why should they not uh, lawfully restrict people to absolute ideals? Why should we not try to create a utopia? Well, and actually I have done a, an episode on utopianism in the past. It's because it's impossible. Uh, you can't have utopia. Utopia will not exist on this side of death. Um, and even in in heaven, in the sort of interim state, utopia, strictly speaking, will not exist uh, because we will not be united in, in our bodies. Utopia, truly, in it its absolute perfection, will not exist until the new heavens and uh, and the new earth. So, yeah. Um, but then how does this circle around go to the beasts again, how are we tying this back into animals and let's say animal rights to whatever to whatever extent they do have rights? Uh, you know it, it would be that anything living you know, doesn't deserve to die, just willy-nilly. you shouldn't go around killing things just because you want to kill them, right That would be quite perverse. Um, I have a a personal story here, and this is to my shame. Uh, When I was a teenager, I was at a friend's pond, and we were fishing. And a fish got stuck on our line, and we couldn't get the fish off. So uh, what did we do? Instead of cutting the line maybe letting the fish uh, die naturally or... Putting the fish out of its misery quickly, um, we uh, tied it to a firework and blew it up, and it didn't die quickly. Um, And and I I went to confession for this soon soon after, uh, particularly really after I had my conversion. I went to confession for this. I confessed this, Um, but even to this day, I think about that instant of needlessly killing that fish. You know, and fish are probably one of the lowest of the animals as regards uh intellection, right um, but they clearly feel pain and we shouldn't needlessly give them pain and i needlessly gave that fish pain by strapping into a firework and letting it slowly die uh, i i don't i don't say this lightly I, I'm being serious, even after all these years, it's been twelve years or so, maybe more um that that incense has burned in my skull, and I still feel uh the the, the sorrow for that sin um, I would put that up there as as one of uh, one of the sins that gives me the most pain in in my life, looking back gives me the most horror at my own sinfulness and my own wretchedness is that moment. So anyway, like I said, I've I've asked forgiveness for this confession. I've been absolved. I've done the penance for it. uh, And I continue to do penance for whatever temporal punishments uh, I still have not made up for. (laughs) Um, And I, I definitely learned from that experience. Right, that, that taught me the gravity of um of, of what it means to treat animals with respect. Okay? Even plants. If I go around uh tromping through a flower bed, you know, not only is that a sin against the the person uh who planted the flower bed, work that they would have put into it and all of that. Um, It would also be a sin against the flowers themselves, needlessly uh, taking their life and destroying God's creation. So, so, you know, every bit of God's creation deserves the respect of life uh, to a certain extent. Now, there there is a necessity of utility there. Uh, This doesn't mean that you can't kill anything. This doesn't mean that you can't kill things for uh for the sake of your own sustenance, right, or else we wouldn't die. <laughs> you have to eat living things in order to live. That's how our bodies work but but there are gradients there you know um, do I treat plant life to the same extent as I would treat animal life? well no they uh, plant life doesn't have a nervous system it can't feel pain um, so you know animals sentient animals have that next level they 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 can suffer um, and, and i think you know some people some christians especially will try to argue that animals don't actually suffer uh because they don't have uh, self awareness i guess is what they would say and i would push against that personally i would uh i i think animals do have do have self awareness um, to a certain extent, they don't, they aren't rational in the way that animal, in the way that humans are rational. But certainly, uh, certain animals will be able to recognize themselves in a mirror, sure. for example. Um, ha! Oh, they are, they are definitely getting on each other's nerves back there. <laughs> I'm almost to my destination, so they will, uh, be happy to get there. Um, Certain animals, it it would appear, you know, can recognize themselves. They do have some sort of self-awareness, and it's clear that certain animals uh, definitely suffer. Virtually all, all uh, sentient beings with a nervous system uh, suffer, and they show signs of suffering. So uh, I, I really, I don't think the Christians that argue that can argue it from very good. Um, standards, and unless they're trying to say that you know it's just a brute fact that God designed the animals in such a way that they don't have consciousness, even though it appears that they do okay uh and I just think that's a bad line of reasoning. We should always take the appearances at what they are uh before we uh start making conclusions contrary to the way things appear right now now somebody might push back on that and say. Well, somebody might push back on that and say, um, "No, but Parker, it doesn't appear that God is there." Well, that, that that really depends on your your viewpoint. I would say it it seems clear that it it appears by uh, the physical world that God is there um, by the fact of entropy uh, that that there is such a thing as motion. Um, I, I still think. You know Aquinas's argument for motion; uh, these sort of cosmological type of arguments do have weight. Uh, I think that they are quite convincing. If you think about the issue of, you know, I push a rock; something put me into motion. Uh, all the way back, you can't have turtles all the way down. <laughs> Is that's kind of the phrase? I think it comes from a Hindu. Uh, Hindu like legend or part of their creation story that like the earth is on the back of a turtle and it turtles all the way down. I might be remembering that incorrectly, but people will use that saying like you you can't have an infinite regress of motion or of things of any sort. You can't have an infinite regress. And so, how do we explain motion? You could maybe argue in a certain sense that there is an eternal motion and it's always moving. Right But then then you're back to the same question of God, what the heck is that eternal motion that that's uh <laughs> that's pretty close, if not exactly uh, close to a an aspect of classical theism, right that God is both eternally in motion and also eternally still. He's eternally active and eternally passive, in as much as that paradoxically makes sense. So, so you know, even even if somebody says, you know, but Parker, you know, you can't take appearances at what they are if you're religious, I would push back on that. And I think religious people, theistic people, can take appearances as they are. Um, I think the the reality of God is transcends the appearances. Um, and I think that in many ways, the appearances of our world point towards uh, a God, or even prove it to whatever extent it can be proven. So yeah, all, all that to say that it appears that animals feel pain, and so we should we should believe that animals have pain. It appears that many animals have consciousness, and those animals may need to treat as though they have uh, consciousness to the ability that they have it, um, and they deserve a greater amount of respect for their, uh, their higher order nature. Right? So... I don't know. A consequence of that view would be that it would be more immoral to kill a, a chimpanzee or a dolphin or a dog—you know, these very high-order animals—than it would be to kill a mouse or a frog or a fish, right? Um, yeah, and you know, maybe I'm getting my zoology there wrong, but I'm—that's beside the point. That you get the point that I'm trying to make. So anyway, I hope that this episode was helpful for you guys. I hope that uh um, it, it it was it was fun kind of talking through these things for me. Maybe you guys won't think it was fun. Um, but this has been uh, I think an interesting episode on a very interesting question. And um I may I hold a controversial opinion, I would say, at least in Christian circles. Um but but I, I think I can defend that question fairly well. So, and I, and I don't think it it does anything uh, to contradict Revelation in any sort of a way. Uh, so I, I don't see any reason why I would be amiss in having these opinions about animals. So, all right. Hope that does it. God bless y'all. And let me know uh, what you guys think. If you guys have any uh, ideas for future episodes, uh, feel free to like me on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, that helps us grow more than almost anything else. Uh, you know, also spreading the word of us helps us grow very directly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, PC Catechesis. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Catholicism in the Car. Uh, Our website, www.catholicisminthecar.com. So many other things. Uh, find me on Patreon if you want to support, or the Anchor Support button, or uh, the GoFundMe page if you want to do a one-time donation. So, yeah, all that information is on our website. You can find everything there, calciumcar.com. All right, God bless. Oh, uh, real quick, real quick, please feel free to uh, subscribe to any of my podcasts on any of the podcast players. Find me on YouTube. Please subscribe. Like me on Facebook. Like the Catholicism Car channel on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, we're all there. Catholicism Car. Find and then I also have a Patreon account if you wish to support what I do at, at this podcast and this YouTube channel. And you can also support us on Anchor.fm. There's a support button there you click on. I also have links to all of this on my website's support page at www.catholicisminthecar.com.